Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, so much for this time and for this place that you've provided for us, Lord, for your word that you've uh, um, just held together and presented to us this morning. Lord, you also laid on my heart this morning to just pray for all the other really great churches I know, all the other pastors who are standing before their flocks this morning, uh, proclaiming your word, your truth, uh, as we sang today, your, your, your truth of salvation, Lord. So I pray for them. I pray for those fellowships as well, Lord. I thank you for the work that I see you doing in this county. Uh, Lord, I just play, pray that it would, you would just blow it out. Lord, so thank you so much. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're actually going to look at, and we're going to start in chapter 17. See, I got you to 18, but we're going to look at 17, verse 14 is where we're going to start. He says this, remember, this is Moses. He's talking to uh, the, the next generation of the Israelites. They're just about to go into the promised land, and God is, is, is warning them and encouraging them and giving them instructions. All of these instructions are so that they will do well, so that they will prosper, so that they will remain obedient to God, all of these things. And so he's now looking out into the future. In verse 14, God is saying to Moses, who then shares this, he says, when you come into the land which the Lord God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, then you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. And so right now, you know, they have a leader. Moses is their leader. They don't have a king. In fact, it's gonna be a few hundred years before they get into the promised land and look around and say, you know what? We want a king. But God knows that right here, doesn't he? Because he says, when you get to that time, when you get to a time when you say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations. I just can't stop circling that section in my Bible because God says there's going to come a time when you're going to look around you and look at what everybody else is doing and you're going to say, I want to do it. Like, why can't we do it like they're doing it? Why can't we have a king? And it says a king like all the nations. And that either means like the way the nations are doing it or a guy like they have. It could be either one. Could be either one of those. And maybe it's both. They're saying we want a guy like they've got who rules us like they do. You know, and that's actually going to happen later on, I think, in... in, uh, First Samuel, we see that they come to, as you know, after many, many years, they're going to come to um, Samuel and they're going to say, you know what? You're old. <laughs> That's how they start off. They come up to him and be like, he's been their, you know, their leader, their judge for, for a long time. And they're coming to say, you know what? You're old. We want a king. It's, he says, you're old and your sons are not following after God, which was true. He was old and his sons weren't following after God. And they say, we want a king so that we can be like everybody else. Do you think at that moment, God must have been like, I knew this was coming, but must be like an arrow right to God's heart, figuratively, of course, but because because he knew that was going to happen, but he was like, but I'm your king. He actually says to Samuel, you know what? Don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He says they're rejecting me. 
So he says, when it comes right here, he says, when it comes to that time, I'm going to choose the person who you will put as king over you. And, you know, he chooses Saul. We talked a little bit about that. And, and um, God gave them exactly what they asked for, a king that would rule over them just like every other nation. But he says, look at here, um, this king, when you, when you get him, he, he should not... Um, He's not going to multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, and neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law of the book. First of all, God says... Um, when you, when you appoint a king, the one that I give you, when you appoint the king, he shouldn't do these things. And we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, all those things that he says you shouldn't do, that, that the king, uh, when it gets to Solomon, which is like Saul, David, Solomon, like their third king, he does all of those things. He goes out and he multiplies horses. He sends his people down to buy horses. It says that he had so much silver in the kingdom that he acquired that it was as valuable as the rocks on the ground. That means there was a lot of silver there. All of those things. And as I think about this and this desire for a king, it's ends. Like one thing you have to see is he says, like all the other nations around me. Well, what does that tell you? All the other nations around him had kings. They want a king. There's a desire to be ruled over by a king. It's in us. It doesn't surprise me at all. Actually, it's in us. That's how God created us. See, but God said, you have a desire to be ruled over by a sovereign leader, but it only works when that sovereign leader is the perfect sovereign leader, God, right? So it, does it surprise you to know that God's perfect form of government is monarchy? But only when the monarch is perfect. Only when the monarch is perfect. That will come. That will come. There is a time coming where God will sit on the throne only he, and he will be the king. And it says that every knee will bow to him. In the meantime, though, they've got all these earthly kings. And God says, they're not supposed to do these things. But what we're going to see is that if, as you study through the Old Testament, you're going to see that these earthly kings do all of these things. Even Solomon did all of these things. But he says in verse 18 that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law for, from the one before the priests and the Levites. See, what's really interesting is God says, all right, when you have a king, he is going to take the, the book of the law and he's going to make a copy for himself. And really what God is saying is it will be the law then the king in Latin, you know what that term in Latin is? Lex rex. Law is king, right? Now, somewhere along the line, it does this and becomes rex lex. King is law, right? That's, that was a big mistake. When they, when they started saying, you know what? Instead of the, the, the king being in ultimate service and obedience to God and doing whatever God told them to do, it switched over to that, that the king, anything the king says or decrees is law, and he essentially became God. And boy, that was a big mess. That was a big mess. But God says here, he will hold on to, he will copy the law for himself. And not only that, it says, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. 
That, why? That he may learn to fear the Lord God and be careful to observe all the words of the law and these statutes. See, God says he is to have a copy of the law with him at all times and he is to read it all the day of his life. It actually, in Hebrew, you know what that implies? Every day. Every day. Well, I know you may not consider yourself a king in the sense that he's referring it to it, but if it's good for the king, is it not good for you to have a copy of the word and uh, to be in it and to read it all the days of your life for the exact same reasons that we would be careful to observe all of the words of the law and the statues that his, his heart and ours might not be lifted up above the brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom. Three very good reasons that God says, this is why the king needs to be in the word every day. This is why you need to be in the word every day so that we will be, remain humble in the sight of God so that we will remain obedient to God and so that we might be well in the land. It's so surprising to me that over and over and over again, we see a couple of phrases. One of them is, when you go into the land which the Lord your God has given you, right? God is the God of provision. Remember when Abraham's up on the mountain of Moriah and he's about to sacrifice his son and then God says, stop there, that ram right there. Now that will be the sacrifice uh, Abraham named, makes a title for God. He says, God provider. God is the provider all the way back then. In the word, there's these three really great reasons for us to be in the word every day so that we can remain humble in the eyes of God, so that we can remain obedient to God and so that it might be well with us in the land in which we dwell. He and his children in the midst of Israel. All right, 18, verse one. The priests, the Levites, all the tribes of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. So, okay, there are, you remember the tribes are the, the children of Israel or Jacob. Remember Israel and Jacob, they were the same guy, right? It was another name. And he had these sons and these sons from those sons came the tribes of Israel. Now, as, they, as time has passed and they've grown into actually, you know, families or people groups, um, God has given inheritance or land or his promised land to them as they move into the promised land, except for the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were gonna be the ones who would be what we would call the ministers. They're going to be the ones who are ministering to the people and the tabernacle and the temple. And they would also be helping out and serving with the high priest. Now you have to know this, not every Levite was a priest, but every priest was from the tribe of Levi. You understand? Everybody get it? Okay, so not every Levite was a priest, but every Levite's job was to be a minister to the people. Um, and so when we think of like pastors, for example, we would think that they're like the ministers, they're like Levites, they're the ones who serve the body in the church. Okay, and so they did not have an inheritance of land. And so God said, they're not going to be able to farm or ranch or produce anything that they're gonna sell. Their job is to be ministers in the church. In fact, he says their inheritance is God, 
meaning the thing that they're going to be about and to do and what, where their living will be, will be in the church, serving the church and serving God. So they have no, no inheritance. And it says in verse three, and it shall be the priest due from the people, from those who offer sacrifice, whether it is a bull or a sheep, and they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. Mmm. So really what he's saying is when you come to the tabernacle or to the temple and you make your offering to the church, to God, essentially, God from that will provide for the Levites, right? So you're giving to God, then God provides for the Levites because they don't have any other way that they're going to make a living. They can't farm. They can't ranch. They have nothing to sell or to trade. Their, their livelihood is support from God through the church. And so it's the same. When you, give, you come and you make your offerings here and you give your offerings to God, then God turns around and provides for his ministers. It happens here. It happens in every church. That's how it is. So that you can't come up to the minister later and be like, well, you know, I pay your salary. You don't actually. You, you give your offering to God. Then God says, from that, I provide for my ministers. And not just provides, but look, this is a good day for pastors actually, because he said, <laughs> I'm not shy either. It's, <laughs> he says that they get the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. Oh, man. I'm pretty excited about that stomach part. Actually, you know, so those were, uh, you know, if you know about that, those would be like the really choice cuts, the shoulder, the cheeks, um, and the stomach, you know, <laughs> but... Um, you know, there, were, there was a stomach, you know, there were, there were more than one, and, and like cows have like, what, I don't know, four, four, five, seven, I don't know, many. I have a couple myself, but, uh, but one of the ones, the ones that they're talking about, the maw, um, was like a delicacy, and so God was saying, it's like, look, for those who have committed themselves to service, um, I'm going to provide for them, but I'm not just going to provide. There's some blessing in this. The cheeks, the, the shoulder, the, the stomach, the, the choice cuts go to support these men who are in service. And, and it says that he, he chose them. See, uh, well, first of all, it says the first fruits of your grain and the new wine of your oil and the first fleece and your sheep, you shall give to them. Verse five says, for the Lord God has chosen him out of all of your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. You know that God, it's not like God looked out at the tribe of Levi and was like, oh yeah, they're awesome. That's why I'm choosing them. They're awesome. See, it actually is so much the other way. You remember, um, you remember when they weren't tribes, they were just dudes, right? They're just like, like Jacob's sons, right? Well, Levi... Uh, and Simeon, they were pretty bad dudes. Remember, um, there was a, a situation where their sister Dinah was raped by Shechem in the city of Shechem, and, uh, and they tricked everybody there into getting circumcised so they were sick, and then Levi and Simeon went in and killed everybody, just killed them all, right? At the end of Jacob's life, when he was going through and blessing all of his sons, you know what he said to Levi and Simeon? He says, you're instruments of cruelty. You are instruments of cruelty, and I will scatter you among Israel. That was what he said to these guys. These, this, this, 
Levi. That's the, tr- that's the guy that this tribe has come from, that God has said, I'm going to take these guys, and I'm going to make them the ministers. So their father kind of, kind of cursed them and said, I'm going to scatter you. In fact, he was saying to them, you're not going to have an inheritance like your brothers have. You're going to be scattered among the people. Well, look, look what we have. God says the tribe, the Levites, they're not going to have an inheritance, yet they're going to live among the people, and they're going to be my ministers. And so, um, God, but, it's, but now it's no longer a curse. It's this incredible blessing. I could speak from my own experience what an incredible blessing. And so God takes this, this curse that the Father laid on them, saying, you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're instruments of cruelty, and I'm going to split you, and you're going to be divided among the people. And God says, I'm going to take that curse now, and I'm going to make this an incredible blessing. I'm going to take something that was not great, and I'm going to use it, and it's going to become great. You know, it's such an amazing transformation. You see this a lot. I'm sure, I'm sure you see this in other folks, too. It just is very kind of out front in Calvary Chapel. So many Calvary Chapel pastors were just horrible people, drug addicts and alcoholics and gang members and bikers and... and you know, president of the chorus. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I wasn't one of those guys, but you know, I used and marching band and God takes these guys that have these horrible lives before Christ and he turns it around and uses it for an amazing thing, an amazing service. But there's something to note here. See, remember when um, Moses was up on the mountain and he was getting the Ten Commandments from God and he brought down, he was going to come down with these big tablets or these, actually they're about like this, these tablets that had his commandments written on them. And, and God says, you know, Moses, you better get down there. There's some shenanigans going on down there. And Moses comes down, you know, remember what's happening. They had, they had got, you know, restless. They had been like almost 40 whole days and they hadn't seen Moses. And so they got restless and they said, you know what we should do? We should make a golden calf and then we should dance around that and worship it. Go get Aaron, Moses's brother, who will be the high priest, by the way. Um, go get that guy. And so they, they went to Aaron and, and they, they brought all their gold and he fashioned a calf out of it and they all, they all danced around it and, and Moses came down and he was so upset that he threw down the, the tablets and they shattered. And then he called out to them, to all the people, he said, he stood at the gate of the camp and he said, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come to me. And the Bible says that all the sons of Levi came to him in that moment. You see, here's the thing. Those guys in that moment decided that they were going to stand with the Lord instead of where they were before. And the Lord took that and then he used it then in a mighty way and he continued to use it. You see, he chose them because, well, they chose him. They said, we're going to stand with God. And God says, I'm going to use you in a great and mighty way. Every Calvary Chapel pastor I know who was a wretch before had to make that choice to say, I'm going to stand with God. And take a step over the line and stand with God and says, oh man, I'm going to use you in a great and powerful way. I love that. God keeps bringing to my mind the verse that says, the, the, the idea actually, that he will take ashes and create beauty. Right? And that doesn't just go for pastors, right? Some of you have lives that were ashes, that at some point you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with God. 
And he says, I'm going to take those ashes and I'm going to make beauty. Some of you may be in ashes right now. And God is saying, you know what? I can take your ashes and I can make beauty from those ashes. It's amazing. The other part that I think is really neat here is that God says, I choose. I choose my ministers. I choose the gang. I did not choose this. I could tell you, my wife will verify, we did not choose this. But God chose it, and we're obedient. That's what it is. We're obedient. In fact, one of my life verses, especially when I was asked to step into the role of pastoring this church, and they said, Go and pray about it and come back and tell us if God tells you anything. And one of the verses that, they, that I uh, came across, again, I wasn't looking for a particular verse. This was in my regular study, was Hebrews 5.4. It says, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. <laughs> I know it says that, Hebrews 5.4, you check that out. I was like, I gotta write that down. <laughs> I am so honored. I'm so blessed to be able to, and, and obedient. And that's the thing. Like, I regularly pray, Lord, I'm surrendered. I'm just a tool. I'm just a tool in the hand of God, just as they were, just as the Levites were. Now it says, so, uh, Verse six, so if a Levite comes from any of your gates from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to place to the place which the Lord chooses that he may serve in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren, the Levites do who stand there before the Lord, they shall have equal portion to eat besides what comes from the sale of their inheritance. All right, so you have to understand that um, there were a lot of them. And they weren't all there all the time. They had shifts that they were scheduled, that they would come for like, uh, I don't remember exactly, it was maybe a month out of 12 that they would come and they would serve at the tabernacle or the temple. But what this is saying is, if there is one, a Levi, who just so badly wants to be there all the time, I just want to serve God all the time here at the temple, then God said, if there's someone who wants that, then, then welcome them in. If they want to be in service to you full time, let them come and be. And also what verse eight says right there is you're not to look at what kind of uh, possessions they have or may have like, there, he wasn't saying, well, if they have a lot of possessions when they come in, then that means you don't have to give them as much as everybody else. What he's saying is, no, they get an equal portion as everybody else, regardless of what they may bring with them. Maybe they had land, maybe they had possessions, maybe they still do. But he says, if their heart's desire is to come and to serve, let them come and serve, and they are uh, due an equal portion as all the other Levites there. It was their desire of their heart to serve all the time, all the time. Like, I know you're not all ministers. I know you're not all pastors, but is your heart's desire to serve the Lord all the time? Remember we talked about God wants your first and your best, not your, not your convenient leftovers. Not your convenient leftovers. I, I'm so thrilled when I see regular attenders in church and their guests that are staying with them at their house. I love that because what you're saying to your guests is God gets my first and my best, not my convenient leftovers. So, um, hey, it's Sunday. 
we're going to church. You can come with us if you want, but we're going to go to church, and then we can go and do whatever else we want to do. And I love that. I love that people say, you know, this is my witness to my friends and to my family as well. Church is so important to me. Fellowship is so important to me. God gets my first and my last. We're going no matter what. We're going no matter what. When we go on vacation, we always look for some place to go to church. And, uh, you know, we look for Calvary Chapel, but it doesn't have to be. We look for a place that we know is going to teach the Bible because Calvary Chapel is not important. Teaching the Bible is important. Amen? So we look for that, and we go. And, um, and I've been blessed so many times to sit in churches and listen to people teach the Bible and see fellowship happening, people I don't even know. But we go because it's important to us, because God gets our first and our best, not our convenient leftovers. If you're on vacation, like I don't know any of you, but if you're on vacation, good for you. You're in church because it's important to you. It's important to you to be in fellowship. Okay, in verse nine, when you come into the land, we've got tons of time, all right. When you come into the land, which the Lord your God is giving you. See that phrase again? There it is again. When you come into the land, which the Lord God... So, is there any, so there's no doubt in their minds who's giving them this land. God. No doubt. They should have no doubt that this isn't because they're awesome or powerful or bigger or stronger than anybody else, but because God is giving it to them. When you come into the land, which the Lord God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of the nation. All right. There have been many warnings. There have been many admonitions from God through Moses. When you go in, there will be pagan ceremonies. There'll be pagan worship. There's going to be pagan temples. Don't worship the way they worship. Don't worship the gods they worship. And don't worship me, God says, in any of the ways that they do worship their gods. Don't do it. In fact, go in and tear down the temples, pull up the groves, knock down the, 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 the pillars and the high places. This is different. This, there's a phrase here that you should know. You shall not learn to follow the, uh, the abominations of the nation. That means right there, if you were to look that up, it means to, you, to study or to research. We are not to study the ways that, that God considers an abomination. And now he's going to list these things. He's going to list them out right here. But what this is saying is not only do you not practice these, he's saying do not even spend any time researching or studying these things things. There shall be not found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. We talked about that before as a sacrifice. Remember, they would, they would heat up a statue of Moloch until it was burning red hot, and then they would lay their live babies on the hands of the statue, and they would burn to death, and they would beat drums and scream and dance around to cover up the screams of their children dying on this, all right? But there was also a ceremony that they would do that was similar to that, that was supposed to give them some insight into what God or God's wanted them to do. And he's saying that you are not to do that. Not only do that, you're not to learn how, or you're not to even study what that is about. God just says, just don't do it. All right, he goes on. He says, um, uh, or one who practices witchcraft 
or soothsaying, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer. All right, so let's look at a couple of these. Witchcraft, um, in Hebrew, it means uh, divinations, the one who seeks to know the future by supernatural means. All right, one who's looking to know what the future means by some, some divination, some chant, or some crystal ball, or something, uh, some way that they're looking to find out what the future holds um, through some supernatural way. That's what, that's what witchcraft is. I mean, it's, not, it's, a, it's you know, not the black pointy hat and riding the broom kind of a thing. That's not ex- at all what he's talking about there, um, although he does cover that later. Um, or a soothsayer. Um, a soothsayer. In Hebrew, soothsayer is one who looks at the clouds or the sky to try and figure out what it is that their gods want them to do. They look to the clouds. That's, that's very literal. They look to the clouds. But it's like um, um, reading your horoscope, right? Because your horoscope is connected to your astrological sign, and those signs, those stars are up in the air. So it's like, are you looking to your horoscope? This is what we would say now. Looking at, look, reading your horoscope and saying, well, this is what my horoscope says. This must be what's going to happen. And God says, no, don't bother. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't look to the sky. In fact, if someone comes up to you someday and says, hey, what's your sign? You tell them, my sign is a stop sign. (laughs) I don't even want to talk about this. Soothsayer. Or one who who interprets omens. There's one here, a word that means an an augurer. Augurer. A-U-G-U-R-E-R, augurer, augering, augering. You got it? Uh, An augurer was someone who tried to tell the future by observing birds. That's that's how they flocked, how they flew, where they went, um, the the chirps, the sounds they made, that's what they, you know what that sounds like to me, that someone was daydreaming when they weren't supposed to, and they were like, are you paying attention? Like, yes, I'm looking for direction from God from the birds. And they made it up quick on the spot. It sounds cuckoo. (laughs) Yeah. Or a sorcerer, that actually is wizard. That's, that is what you think about where someone who practices witchcraft, you know, you know there, there's, there's a movement now, it's, it's different, like it's, it's now called Wicca, and people are like, well, I'm a white witch. It's still witchcraft, gang. It's, see, all of this, you know why God hates all of this? Do you know why God hates all of this? Because it's putting something in place of him. Something in place of him. You know, when it says like those who uh, conjure spells, mediums, mediums, uh, a, spe- a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. You know, there are people who, um, you know, there was a, a, a psychic hotline here in Florida um, in the 90s. It was a big deal. And uh, I went out of business. And the newspaper said they didn't see it coming. That's for, that's for real. That's for real. They should have seen that coming. See, the thing is that um, there are people um, who claim to be able to uh, connect to the other side, speak for the dead or connect to the dead. And honestly, some of them are just complete scam artists. 
Some of them are asking questions or telling you things that are so broad that if you're going to them in the first place, you're, you, know, uh, you walk in and you say, tell me why I'm here. And they say, you're here because you want something. Like, yes! <laughs> and now you're sucked in, right? Some of them are just, um, just scammers. But there are some who I have no doubt are talking to another spiritual being. We know that there are angels and we know there are spirits all around us. In fact, there's, there's proof in the Bible that talks about uh, a, a spiritual world that happens all around us that we can't see or, or um, that we can't touch, but it's there. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. Um, I gotta find it. Okay, this is it. Okay, Second Kings. So um, I'm gonna read this. Okay, so you look this up later, Second Kings chapter six. Um, but I'm going to read this story to you. So it says, uh, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he con- consulted with a servant saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, this is Elisha, he's talking about when it says the man of God, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told to him saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, Open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, Elisha prayed to God and said, Lord, open up his eyes so that he might glimpse the realm that's around us that we don't normally see. And they opened it up and he saw an army of chariots and horses of fire surrounding the Syrian army that was surrounding them. And see, the whole time you get this impression that Elisha had great uh, um, (laughs) calmness. Peace, thank you, peace. The whole time, but that his servant was anxious because he saw what he could see and that it was overwhelming. And he said, Lord, Elisha said, Lord, would you just open his eyes so that he could see into the realm that surrounds us, that we don't see the spiritual realm? And God did. And he saw a great army surrounding all of them. There's another example also when Stephen is before the Sanhedrin. You remember this? He's preaching the gospel to them. And he's saying, you know, basically it's like, you guys are bad because you did this. And, and uh, they're getting really angry. And right at the end, he says, he says, behold, I see heaven is opened. And I see the son of man sitting next to God on his throne. Oh boy, did that tick those guys off? Because that says they gnashed their teeth at him. Like, gnash, gnash. <laughs> There's a realm around us 
that these mediums and, and, and um, people who are connecting to the, to, to the dead, they think, are actually connecting to, to demons, evil spirits that are all around us. Now listen, um, you, go to a, you go to a medium and they say, oh, I'm, I'm connecting to the spirit of your grandma who's passed on and she's saying this and that. They're not. They're either pulling the wool over your eyes or they're seeing something. There's no doubt in my mind that an evil spirit would say to a medium anything that they need to say to try and get you to follow that rather than to turn your eyes on Jesus. That is what the devil wants to do. He does not care about you. He does not care about your grandma or the relationship. He doesn't know the future, by the way, except for he can read just like we can. But he's been here from the beginning and he and his demons know so much about you that they could come to you and they they could say, oh, I'm going to masquerade as so-and-so's grandmother and I'm going to tell them all the things that they need that they do not spend a moment of time thinking about God. They're completely drawn away by by this whatever false connection to someone who has gone on. Oh man, that's why God hates it. That's why it's an abomination, he says. This is an abomination. Don't even look into it. Do you ever do a Ouija board? Have you ever done that? You know, as I'm just thinking about that, I've done it too. I mean, it always creeped me out. In fact, it creeped me out just looking into what these words mean, actually. I felt like maybe I shouldn't even be studying these things too deeply. So I'm kind of, you know, not going too deep onto these things. But, you know, if you have the, the Ouija board and you're sitting there and you're going around and you're like, you're pulling it. No, you're pulling it. No, you're moving it. But maybe your friend is moving it. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not. There are forces out there that uh, we shouldn't mess with. God says, no, they're abomination to me. Don't even study. Don't even look into. Leave it alone. I mean, if you have that in your past... And you haven't asked God to cleanse you and release you from that, you need to do that. If you haven't, if you have that in your past and you've never asked God to forgive you for that and to release you from what you might have connected to, let's pray right after church. And you can be released from that. God has the power over all of this. If you're carrying Ouija board stuff or spiritism, spiritism, spiritism along in your past, you need to be released from that. And we will pray for you, and you can be released from that. But God says, don't, if, if you've not, or if you're going forward, don't mess with that. If you want to know, if you want to talk to somebody who knows about the other side, get on your knees and pray and talk to Jesus. Because there isn't anybody that knows about the other side more than Jesus does. There isn't anybody that knows about the afterlife more than Jesus does. And you have a direct line. You don't need another person. You don't need cards or tea leaves. Tea leaves? <laughs> All of those ways are man's ways to replace God. And that's why they're an abomination. Because the devil will use whatever he can to get you away from God. And God says, that is an abomination. Stay away from it. Steer clear from it. Ask for forgiveness from being involved in it ever. Get away from it. For all those things, verse 12, are an abomination to the Lord. They are ways to replace God. 
And because these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you and you shall be blameless before the Lord. For these nations which you dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. See, what he's saying is the reason why they are in the state that they're in and the reason why they are being dispossessed from the land is because they did these things. Because they, because they saw medium, eh. because they were drawn away from and rejected and replaced God, yes, yes. And he is saying to them, you, your fate will be the same if you do the same, if you practice the same. And actually, don't we know that to be true in their, in their lives? They do actually turn to um, uh, uh, Manasseh was king. The, these exact things, you can read about Manasseh, these exact things are listed in what he did. This list exactly, soothsayers, um, mediums, uh, speaking to the dead, pillars in high places. He did all of those things. And you know what God did? Sent the Babylonians in. It says they removed them with a hook, right? But while he was in that very low place of captivity, you know what Manasseh did? He repented. He repented and he came back to God and then God brought him back and he served God the rest of his days with all of his heart. And he, he tore down the high places and he built the altars to God, right? So even if you're there, even if you're there right now, even if you went to see a psychic yesterday, you can be forgiven of that. You can be cleansed, you can be restored and you can go on from there. <clears throat> all right, he says, for the Lord your God... Verse 15, will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from the midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire anymore lest I die. You remember that when God was, remember before God gave Moses the written law on the stones, he spoke it to everybody from the top of Mount Horeb out loud. And it says that it was so massive and loud with fire that after after 10 commandments, they were like, please stop. We can't take it anymore. They went to Moses and said, you know what, Moses, you go and talk to him. And you come, he says, you go and be the mediator between us and God. Please, Moses, because if we hear an 11th commandment, we're going to die. And that's what he's talking about right here. He says, there's going to come one who is a prophet, and he's going to come, uh, and he's going to speak all the things of the Lord. And he will be that final and greatest mediator between God and man. That's not a verse. Those are my own words. It sounds like a verse. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so from this point forward, the Israelites were looking for the prophet that God said that he was going to send, that would speak all of his words, that they were to hear from and to do whatever it was that he said. They were constantly, constantly looking. Now, we're on this side of all of it. We actually can go back and we could see that that prophet that God said that he was going to send was his own son, Jesus. In fact, it says it in a couple of places. See, at one point, John the Baptist was in the Jordan River, right? And he was baptizing people left and right and people were coming out. And so they came to him um, in, all, in all earnest and they said, are you the prophet? And he said, I'm not. 
And they said, well, who are you? And he says, I am the one, the voice calling out in the desert, make way for the way of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord. So he says, there is one coming who I'm not even worthy to lose his sandal strap. So they said, are you the prophet? So even, you know, at the time, this whole time up until this moment with, with John the Baptist, they're looking for that prophet that God said was going to come with his words, with his message. And they said, John, are you the one? Are you the prophet? And he says, I'm not the one, but he's coming. He's coming. Now, Jesus would actually say it himself in uh, John chapter 5. He says to them, when they, when they come and they're kind of uh, challenging him, Jesus says, uh, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses wrote of me. In John chapter 5, verse 46, he says that Jesus is referring to this place right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He's saying, Moses wrote of me. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me because I'm the one that he wrote about. Jesus says, I'm the prophet. Also, Luke 4, 16. I'm gonna read this to you. This is talking, Jesus, he came, um, when Jesus came into Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, it was a custom there, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is what it was written, he read this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim victory to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the accepted year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all were on in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus reads in the reading that was for that day about the prophet who would come and what he would do. And Jesus says, in your hearing just now, it has been, it has been fulfilled in me. In fact, John, when he's in prison, John the Baptist later is in prison. He'll send guys to Jesus and he'll say, look, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for or should we wait for another? And it says that Jesus healed the blind, healed the lame, healed the sick, and preached the gospel. Then he said to those guys, go and tell John that the blind are being healed. Uh, the blind see the lame walk. The gospel is being preached. He basically said to, to John's disciples, all of the things that I just read about from the book of Isaiah that the prophet would do, I've just done right before your eyes. So yes, I am the one. I am the prophet who is to come. And see, there's the thing. Jesus is the prophet that God said would come, who he said, you must listen to all that he says. If you don't listen to my words that he speaks, then it shall be required of you. That means that he said, my prophet, my son Jesus will come with the words of life, of salvation. And if you hear those and accept them, you have eternal life. If you don't accept them or receive them, if you don't uh, hear the words which he speaks, it's required of you. It's required of you. 
If you're here and you're a, you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've done exactly what the word says. You've heard what he's had to say and you've heard them, you've accepted them. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus, that means that you're hearing the words, I'm speaking them right now. You're not receiving it, it's required of you. That means your eternity is in your hands and you don't want that. Because if you're standing here thinking, well, I'm good enough, I'm pretty good, my good outweighs my bad, First of all, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how good you are. You still don't have enough good to outweigh your bad, but that's not the measure. Your good has to be more good than Jesus. He's the measuring rod. There isn't a single person in this room that's even close. Jesus lived a perfect life. You sinned on your way here, probably. Or right now, when I'm just saying that. Lord knows your heart, I'm just saying. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to be forgiven. That's part of the words. That's part of the words that Jesus speaks. You need to be forgiven. You're a sinner, but you can be forgiven. Be forgiven. Receive the words of life and go on with the rest of us to heaven. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. I will now go through everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Lord. You know, you know my heart. You know everything. Heavenly Father, but I, I thank you especially for your son, Jesus, who you sent. Lord, I thank you for the message of salvation. Lord, that we could look at our wretched lives and say, you know what? I am a sinner, but I can be forgiven. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for salvation. Lord, I pray right now for anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and, and their Savior. Lord, I pray that these words or even this moment that your Holy Spirit would be convicting them to turn their lives over to you, that they would say, I'm a sinner, Lord, but forgive me. I want to be forgiven. Lord, we know that your word says that if someone asks for forgiveness, they're forgiven. Lord, if someone says, ah, please forgive me and come and live into my heart, be my Savior, Lord, you do it every time. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now, if there's anybody here, that they would actually pray this and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner, forgive me. Lord, I want to turn my life to you. Lord, come into my heart right now. Be my savior, be my Lord, be my king forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might live a holy life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this day and for this time of fellowship and worship, Lord. In your name we pray. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, in these two chapters, Moses talks about king, a prophet, and a priest. All three of those at some time were ruling the nation of Israel, right? When Jesus came, he was all three all at once, the prophet, the king, and the priest. It says that Jesus is our great high priest. Only Jesus is able to fill all three of those roles, and we want it that way. We want that. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.